2: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You
1: guys do a great job. We love it. What can we
2: say?
0: He's Chris Maddox.
3: He's employed by Sports Illustrated.
0: The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. If you have a problem with it, build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Chris Mannix. All right, Sarah Kustak is in. Yes Network Analyst, Fox Sports 1. Does a great job on all those broadcasts. Fresh off. European Adventure. I saw a picture yeah. of you and Zach Lowe. Zach Lowe outed your European Adventure.
4: He did. I was trying to keep it under wraps. Yes. I wasn't going to social media about it. And then Zach got very excited. Croatia. How do you did you I could do an entire podcast on Croatia. Okay. I fell in love. I wanted to move there. I almost didn't come back. Yeah. Tried to figure out how long my savings would last mm-hmm. me there and
0: Croatian basketball doesn't pay quite as much as,
4: <laughs> you know. It was NBA. gorgeous though. I bet. I'm a big advocate. If anyone has questions, Don't you... ask Bojan Bogdanovic, no. don't ask Mario Hezonja, ask ask
0: me. How or you, Zach Lowe. How did you encounter Zach Lowe out there?
4: I knew I I was texting with Zach about something work-related, and then we were going through a timeline. I'm like, oh, wait a second. By the way, I'm going to be in Croatia. And he got very excited. Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people... Well, I do think he runs across people out in Croatia. Um, But yeah, he was out there with his wife and his family, and they had us a house and a beautiful view and got to... Ticket with Zlo. I give outside him, the scope of, of work in NBA. It was extraordinary. I'll
0: give him credit, man. He when he powers down, he powers down. Like his he does his Croatia thing. I think all the he's time. The, I like, think
4: like, every year. Yeah. I told him I'm coming back next summer.
0: <laughs> I'm I at did, your house. and I'm
4: I'm serious. Um, I think I think that um, him and his wife Vesna and um, the family and some of her. I think they're out there for like a month. Mm-hmm. So I told him I would be out there for like 28 days. House guest. <laughs> Let yeah. him show up. It, it it was gorgeous. I bet. The beaches. There was a lot of adventure to it as well. You mm-hmm. could do the whole snorkeling, scuba, cliff jumping boating there's all these islands
0: you did you post on the cliff jumping didn't you i did that
4: was the one i well i felt like i should do one
0: i'm too scared of that i i got terrified i
4: i i came back i i had some injuries (laughs) 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 i'm um i'm smart in my my real life on vacation i get a little a little reckless Mm -hmm. so but i'm all in one piece i did the
0: uh I remember going to like Rick's Cafe in Jamaica and they had this big cliff there and I stood at the top of it and I looked down and I'm like, there's no way. Then some little like 10-year-old comes running up behind me, just goes flying off the thing. I'm like, this, now I look like a genius. And then
4: you went? Or no, no, then I
0: turned around, went straight back down. Was... As
4: long as I know the water's deep enough mm-hmm. that nothing bad will happen... They also had these cave. Like we were swimming and going out it. There's these blue caves. You could. It, uh, I,
0: these are first world problems that we're discussing right now. Very oh, much so. Very. Did I find much the so. right cliff that I. Find but just this? if
4: you can't, if you can't find me, and I don't show up for an NBA season, I may be in Croatia. Croatia. Okay, good to know. Don't come looking.
0: <laughs> Leave me be. All right, NBA season is still over a month away. Schedule came out, which you know the NBA tries to bleed some news out of that. But there is some news that I want to get to. Uh, In the league right now, I want to begin to with Carmelo Anthony, who, as we speak, and I think that's going to be the case for a while, does not have an NBA team. And I reported last week after talking to Jerry Colangelo that, you know, this wasn't really a case of Carmelo not wanting to play USA basketball, USA basketball not wanting to play. It was Carmelo wanting to play for USA basketball and USA basketball saying no to a guy that I think is, you know, the greatest USA basketball player ever. When you factor in you know all the medals he's won, three golds and a bronze, the numbers he's put up as a member of this team, what did you make of the decision by USA Basketball to say no to Carmelo Anthony?
4: I have all the respect in the world for Jerry Colangelo and what they decide they want to do, and particularly um, this year. I was surprised when I heard my, my initial reaction, because you said, I mean, think about one of if not the most decorated players in, in USA basketball um, and just what he's done for it, what he's contributed to it. Uh, so to me, and considering all the players as I, you know, well-documented and we've talked about for the last few weeks, um, how many who have passed on playing, I was shocked. And I guess, you know, it, it, certain circumstances, I think Colangelo, and you, you know better than I, it came out and said that he felt like, Carmelo may have been using it as a springboard to, to get himself back in the NBA, and maybe this wasn't the right circumstances. And, and you do need to think about um, just their direction, what they're trying to do. But but to be honest, my initial reaction was I was surprised that they wouldn't bring him on to that roster.
0: Yeah, and look, I, I get what Jerry, where Jerry Colangelo was coming from. Uh, if Carmelo was there, it would have been kind of the Carmelo show to a degree. You know, Everyone would have flocked around him and asked him about – you know, what happened last year with the Rockets or what's going on with his career right now, the focus wouldn't be on USA basketball, but Canelo himself, or Canelo, I'm thinking boxing now. Carmelo himself is not a, I mean, for all this, the, the criticisms of him, like he's not, he's a very good guy yes. and a very good teammate who just, you know, doesn't fit in kind of today's NBA. Like it's not like, I don't think he'd be a drag on that team. And one thing we know about Carmelo Anthony is that he is very good at the USA game. Like, his style of play may be an ill fit for today's NBA, but for the international game, it's still really good. And that's based on everything, he's, the numbers he's put up over the last few years. So I was surprised that they, you know, didn't... Given given what that we know about the team, that it's kind of in a state of flux, a lot of young guys, not a lot of players with international experience, less so now with Kyle Lowry uh, being out of that mix. Having a veteran with that group, I think would have been a net positive, but clearly they didn't think that way.
4: Well, and, and even too, I, I would think... You know whether the term distraction fits. Like I, I believe in this circumstance, like the, the attention maybe would have been, not, and maybe in in part in initially or in certain circumstances it, there would have been questions about his NBA future and the point that he's at and trying um, to latch back on or get back on to a roster and to a team in the NBA. But you would think if ever there was a time where the media attention around it or wherever they may go um, would be something that would be natural and welcome, and it's a little bit. More, I don't want to say a relaxed environment, but an environment where when they were a training camp in Vegas and they go to LA, they go to Australia, obviously going out to China. Um, that that I I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't perceive that as being something that would entirely get in the way of their focus and the goal of what they were trying to do.
0: So I've weighed in on this, and last week uh, Mark Stein was on here. He's weighed in on this, but. Your thoughts on Carmelo's future. I mean, he's out there working out. He's made the media rounds. He was on ESPN sort of laying out everything that's happened over the last year. It's very clear that he badly wants to get back in for at least one more season. But the interest, at least right now, just isn't there. Do you think we've seen the last of Carmelo Anthony in the NBA?
4: I have a hard time thinking that if you ask me, do you do, think, think that he'll be on a roster entering the start of the season. Um, I b- would probably say no just given the way the rosters have shaken out what teams are looking for. Obviously the the lack of interest thus far um, that's shown, but The way injuries happen, the way different things shift throughout the course of a year, teams, I mean, you think about the movement of all these teams and how many rosters that there will be front offices trying to piece together coaching staff, what exactly they have, what things look like. I think there's so many questions surrounding so many different teams that once things start to shake out, come December, January, February, there may be an opportunity with a team that says, okay, we'll pay. he might be a good fit. He might be at a place. I think a, a lot of it is just trust that the last two stops with Oklahoma City and Houston, that maybe he's gained, and there's shared responsibility, I'm sure, with all of it, um, but gained a better, I mean, he came out and said to Stephen A. Smith, I'm willing to take any role on a team. I think there's got to be a trust that that's actually a reality and it's not just words, but it's truly how he will be able to feel on a roster. And I think it's just, it's tough um, and it it's hard to see because you think about um, the player and the talent that Carmelo still is. Um, However, it's someone that would attract that much attention and that much focus. If you are the ninth man, the tenth man, the eleventh man on a roster, uh, it's a, it's an interesting situation that a team would embark upon. Given that, and and, and as we've seen such thus far, there's not been an opportunity where it looks like a team and an organization is willing to take a
0: chance on that. Yeah, a couple things I would say to that. One. Like, you look at the Lakers. If LeBron James wanted Carmelo Anthony on his team, Carmelo would be on the team by now. It's, you know, the Lakers were out there signing everybody to these short contracts. Carmelo was out there. LeBron swings a big bat in that organization. If he wanted Carmelo on a short deal, he would have been there. That, to me, speaks some volumes. I believe Carmelo's attitude is in the right place. But when you're talking about a 7th, 8th, and ninth man... You want more than just a score. You want a guy that maybe can contribute without having the ball in his hands, that defends at a high level, that rebounds at a high level, maybe does both those things at a slightly lesser level. Carmelo is still a guy that can get hot and give you 20 points, but he's not going to defend at a high level. Decent rebounder, I guess, for that 3-4 spot, but is limited in a lot of ways there, so I don't see teams sort of looking at him being like, yeah, we need a ninth or a 10th man. He's the right fit for him. Normally, you'd put like a... 21-year-old or some young kid. Fresh legs? Yes. Someone that
4: can get get versatility and multidimensional upside? How do they fit in the context of our organization for the big picture? Because that's where I think there's a balance of teams, of of teams that believe, and there's so many this season, that are title contenders and what you're looking for out of that position. And then the rest of them that think that, okay, we're still two, three, four years off. Mm -hmm. And what we want is a young 20-something-year-old who we think can grow into a different type of player. Um, and while you look at it and yeah there's 450 roster spots within the league uh, it, it's a little more unique to what each roster and what each team needs and, and that's where it becomes challenging
0: yeah I mean the one team I would keep an eye on is Miami because you know Miami's still looking at Chris Paul and if they get Chris Paul chances are they have to move a lot of guys off that roster to make the money work and one thing we know about Miami is that they're just kind of crazy like if a guy has talent they believe they can bleed every last bit of talent out of that player. It's their history, whether it's Deion Waiters or any other number of guys that have played for them. You know, Jimmy Butler down there now. I, I think they'd go out and if they had a roster spot and Chris Paul was there, I think they'd go out and take a flyer. But other than that, I don't see it. I don't see a team, any team out there that would bring him in that hasn't already brought him in. Rosters are basically locked at this point. I don't think a big injury would make a difference uh, I think Miami's his only option at this point, and and that only hap opens up if they make a deal for Chris Ball. Right. So,
4: and and that also too, even just the fit. Uh, you talk about personality wise, and how you want to fit in with certain. Get like, how does he fit in with a Jimmy Butler, and how does that change right. the dynamic if if someone you know is on their last year, and how much I think it continues to come back to the amount of attention that that will bring, um, in in for you know. Is that Melo's fault? No, but that does change the complexion of what you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis when in an organization, and that's media. You know, and part of it, it's the media, and it's it's just the nature of the beast.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens. He, you know, he's he's got an uphill climb there trying to find an NBA home. All right, let me talk to you about the. This is more of an NCAA conversation, but the NBA was dragged into it recently. The NCAA came out with a rule that said that agents that want to represent early entry candidates have to have a bevy of uh, uh, credentials to ultimately do. One of them was to have a bachelor's degree, which is laughable because what does that have to do with the guy, you know, making it in the NBA? This was believed widely perceived to be targeted at, among others, Rich Paul, the agent uh, for LeBron James, who does not have a bachelor's degree, but has emerged as one of the most prominent agents in the in all of the NBA. Shortly thereafter, the NCAA, which is the gang that can't shoot straight, they went out and rescinded that rule and said, "Well, it's a bachelor's degree or to be NBPA certified." What, what have you made of the last week of how the NCAA has kind of seemingly targeted a select gr- group of agents, one specifically, and then ultimately had to back off?
4: It's sad. Like, do we do we expect any different anymore at the NCAA? Oh, I mean, so it, it's it, and so. You know, first when the rule came, and I appreciate how, as we would anticipate, but how outspoken, whether it was so many players, other age, were about the rule initially. Um, and even though when the NCAA rescinded the rule, they still wrote it as though, and, and you said it, you said you need a bachelor's degree and or um, you know, whatever certification, the certification yeah. But But that is already a part of one of those stipulations and one of the rules. So they basically just repeated the same Thing, but it, I mean, it it just continues to be disheartening and disappointing that it seems like very little of anything they do is in the best interest of the student athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it just talk about a circus of of putting it out there and circling back, and, and now where we sit. But um, but I'm glad that at least it changed um, or they rescinded that. But um, I think more than anything, and despite it being, you know us talking about i i'm glad the dialogue is there and and i'm not sure what changes will be made and is there's continued dialogue about it about the ncaa the rules they make but i'm glad at least we are having conversations about this and i don't know when it's going to change i don't know when things change there's so many parts of the ncaa uh that i take issue with however at least it's being something that's discussed that is um you know, out there for for people to understand, even for young individuals to understand. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was ridiculous to begin with. Um, but again, I'm glad they at least rescinded it. But you think it, it's like even when they came back and changed it, they didn't even fully admit that. They were wrong or they didn't even fully admit that they were going to change it. They just tweaked it and worded it in such a way that it obviously changed the the stipulations of what you need. But it's still it's like you're you're still doing the same things that you did. I, in I don't the first know place. why
0: they take this sort of like pious attitude Mm-mm. every so often. It's like here they come with this restriction, which they know is going to get incredible blowback, which yes. they should know people are going to attach to an agent like Rich Paul and can't explain it like nobody in the NCAA. Can explain with a straight face why having a bachelor's degree is is a requirement to be an NBA agent, like Rich Paul. Maybe not not perfect by any stretch, but has proven himself at the highest level of agenting, for yes. lack of a better and word. And what
4: agent is, I mean, what a, whether you have a bachelor's degree or doesn't, it doesn't change whatever you think about certain agents or how things, how they operate on certain things. It has nothing to do with it.
0: Nothing. Nothing at all. And and they never were able to properly explain it except to say, like, we you know we want these people to have a higher education. I mean, give me a break with all this nonsense. I mean – the idea that any other agent that has a degree would be better served to advise these players than an agent like Rich Paul would is ludicrous. And it does a disservice to their their these young kids. Like, Rich Paul is probably going to be able to get a better lay of the land than some lesser agent that has a bachelor's degree. Because he's been around. He's got experience. It just worked with Darius Baisley. Darius yes. Baisley, yes. who, yes. I don't know what he would have been if he stayed in school. Maybe it would have been a first-round pick anyway. But he goes out of school, he makes a little bit of money, And he becomes a first-round pick in the NBA. And Rich Paul was right about that. He's got LeBron, he's got Anthony Davis, he's got a lot of big-name clients. The idea that they would target – like, they had – who is making this rule and not thinking like, well, boy, you know, I wonder if people are going to say anything about this. I wonder if this is going to get any kind of reaction. That would be
4: my only question. Like, are you doing this to get a reaction? Are you doing this not understanding the blowback? Or – Are you trying to make a point and then realize just how blatantly insulting that it is Uh, that like that to me is what's it really is is mind numbing about so many decisions that they continue to make. And again, it's like at what point is there ever going to be an absolute focus on the student athletes? And on these young individuals, and it just—it it feels like nothing about anything that they do, or so many of the decisions have to do with the people that we should be thinking
0: about most. It's just every, like every so often, they decide that they act like a nonprofit when they're—they're they're not. Like yeah. they're—they they're, do some some of the shadiest things with these kids that they bleed every nickel out. Of. They'd still be selling like EA Sports video games <laughs> like, Ed o, if Ed O'Bannon didn't call them out yes. and throw them under the bus. Yeah. They would still be bleeding money out of guys that played in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. It's just, and here they are trying to make this rule. I mean, I just never understand. Look, and not to criticize higher education. I got a degree. You got a yes. degree. It was all very but, useful. But let me tell you something. I mean, my lasting memories of college are four years of beer pong. It just is. Like I don't. I don't think it was consequential. I got a lot out of it, but it was more like socializing. It was. I got real put it this way real and I I don't know if you agree but real world experience has been more impactful on my career than what I picked up at Boston College that doesn't say that's not negative on Boston College it was a great education all that stuff a good liberal arts whatever but I got way more out of working at the Boston Globe at working at Sports Illustrated at getting that life experience in my teens and 20s than you know the amount of drinking I did you know at college
4: I wouldn't. I wouldn't match you with the amount of drinking that you did. No, but, there but really, wasn't
0: many that could. But that, that, that but
4: was. I say all the in in same thing for me going to and I am grateful. I got a full scholarships, so my education paid for because of basketball. And so there there are so many things and and I should first say that 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 I am very thankful for. Wouldn't be in that position, but. But you're spot on. I mean, the, the things that we do today, our professional careers, it, it's less about anything that I learned in getting a degree and getting – I mean, I have a master's that I use – most of my actual tangible skills have come from doing things in the – and that's why I think, um, you know, it was just – everything throughout the course of the past week was very laughable in just how – it was handled um, and just how it was approached. And now, again, we sit here and it's, it's a lot of the same things that we continue to think and say about the NCAA because it's because of things like this that occur.
0: I would crush Rich Paul at beer pong. Crush him. Like so, if that if that's the game. Do you still
4: play beer pong?
0: When I can't, like I'm I'm about to embark on a couple week vacation where I'm. Weren't just,
4: you just? Is all you're doing is taking va- vacations? Oh, okay, seriously, what are you just living the, living what, on the beach? Yeah, this is what. <laughs> yes,
0: I am. I am nothing if not a vacation monger. I know. I know. But when I unplug a little bit, I'll play a little bit of beer pong every so often. If it's if it's presented to me, I won't go seeking out beer pong games, but I will play a little bit. Oh, don't don't sit there and give me that look. Like you I haven't played. Know. Have you played beer pong in the last twelve months? No, I don't no, I have, you. Not. I, don't
4: no you. I have not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. No, I, I have where not. I don't wear this went way off course <laughs> on this one. How this went all sound. They
4: don't play beer pong in Croatia. No. I ain't kidding. <laughs> yeah. Flip
0: cup, just flip cup. All right, gotcha. Gotcha. The Nikki Glaser
1: podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer podcast. I said, Tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about.
4: Every time I refer, fresh my DMs. It's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me.
1: Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser podcast on America's number 1 podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser podcast to start listening.
3: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty: Sports Scandals.
2: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Uh, All right, let's talk about the Nets for a second. And one of the pieces of news that came out uh, earlier this week was Kevin Durant spoke for the first time, talking to Chris Haynes over at Yahoo Sports. And among the takeaways from his conversation in that story was that he absolutely is not blaming Golden State for what happened to him in the NBA Finals. When asked if he had if the Warriors mishandled his injury, Durant said, hell no. How can you blame the Warriors? Hell no. He said, I heard the Warriors pressured me into getting back. Nobody never said a word to me during rehab. As I was coming back, it was only me and the director of sports medicine working out every day. So Kevin Durant has come out publicly and said the Warriors had nothing to do Nothing negative to do with this injury. What do you make of what you read of Kevin Durant's comments?
4: I think um, just in reading those comments, and I haven't had a chance to see or, or speak with Kevin or get a chance to meet him yet in, in coming over to Brooklyn, um, I'm not sure. I, I feel like he is someone who is very honest and sincere when he speaks to the media and he speaks from his heart. And regardless of what played out and how the situation occurred, and I know we talked about it ad, ad nauseum after the finals. It makes me feel a little bit, if he truly feels that way, that at least I appreciated the comments of him, of course, feeling like this is part he said I'm just going to put my chin down I don't know the exact quote but it didn't keep working and this is part of things happen I don't think he said things but things happen this is basketball we had been targeting game five uh, we know how much he wanted to play and, and just wanted to be on the court through those circumstances he said it didn't matter where the series was at um, so whether or not I think we can continue to parse through the decision of him going back and returning back and the minutes allotted in all those things for where he is at at this point. The the uphill climb that any player would have after having surgery like that and rehabbing, um, I'm at least, I, for, for his sake, I'm at least happy if he can feel that's behind him at peace with that this is a circumstance that was unfortunate but happened, and, and he's just ready to buckle down to get back and,
0: and move on. Yeah, it sounds like he's in a good place yeah. mentally, which yeah. is huge. And, I, and that's going to be an ebb and flow. Like, he's, right. he's as that, he goes through this process, probably a year-long process, he's going to have his good days and bad days. But it sounds like right now he's in a good place. The one, the one umbrage I take with all this, and, it, and maybe it's not something that he would kind of uh, respond to, but any other injury like that, you'd have more of a ramp-up. Right, you, like a guy has that type of significant injury, more likely than not, he goes through four, five, six practices before he winds up out there on the floor. Not to say that the Warriors had any idea if, if that this was going to happen; they would never put him out there on the court. But you know, that's always going to be kind of a what if. Like he had kind of half a practice, didn't really go out there full speed before stepping onto an NBA Finals court. Does it,
4: I was going to say, does it does it surprise me that he did come? Yeah. And and that's why, to me, I'm glad he doesn't feel bitterness about it. Um, if 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 that is you know how he feels, because that's I mean we know the difference between a five on five scrimmage as opposed to a preseason game as opposed to a regular season game. Playoffs, how much the intensity changes. Let alone Game Five of the Finals. So that, I mean, yeah, I, I the the level of stress and strain that it probably adds on your body, and then what he played the first twelve minutes. He came out early, minutes.
0: and then he came back in. Like they were, initially but even just say, yeah. it's,
4: it's just. Um, I think there are still a lot of things that probably many other will question or take a look at or raise an eyebrow about or wonder. Um, but I I would be happy for his sake if that's and it seems that way that that's not in his head. He seems to be like what's in the past. This happened. This is a circumstance, and I'm going to move on. Yeah. Um. And in all, you could the only person that actually matters at this point is him and the attitude he's going to take towards it. So so I am I am hopeful, and I would at least be happy for him if that's where his head is at now.
0: Why do you think that the Nets haven't ruled him out for the year? Because whenever I talk to people that around him, he's not playing next year, but and the Nets have kind of left that door, which which is both like, you know, strange and also a potential PR problem if they don't rule him out. Like, if they don't, like now it's not a big deal, but if you get to training camp and you start saying, well, we don't know yet, we know what's going to happen, all of a sudden it becomes like Part of the the, the monthly routine where reporters are going to ask every day about the status of Kevin Durant.
4: I'm curious to see how this plays out as the season progresses. We're still a ways off. What I will say in regards to that, I think when Sean Marks last spoke, it was at Summer League. Um, He and Kenny Atkinson did. And it was maybe a few days after uh, Kevin Durant had had gotten to Brooklyn. I I don't even think they went through the full the full course of all the tests, going through everything with the medical staff, with the doctors laying out a plan. I I think it was so early in the process of even gauging um what the road looked like ahead that I believe when he spoke about th- th- there was no ruling anything out because it was just so early to even say anything. Um, as it goes on and in the Nets are have always been very private when it comes to injuries or laying out timelines. They've always been against especially with the media, or with the public putting out a timeline um in putting any type of pressure on a player. So I'm curious to see I, I think it's just I think to them it's early and there's no point in even saying anything. Now to to what you're saying, I think if we get towards January, February and there's still but but I could see them saying we're not like we, we told you, we'll let you know if there's something mm-hmm. to know. But for now, um, a lot of it, too, I think will be dependent on how Kevin wants to handle this and how he wants to approach it, what he wants to say, I think, too. And again, I don't know with w- what is happening behind closed doors with those conversations, but, too, not closing the door on a player and, and just kind of how he's proceeding forward. But, but more than anything, I think... For the Nets, we're still in the summer. We're still in the offseason. No one needs to talk to the media every day or deal with the things that we deal with throughout the course of the regular season. Um, so it's just early from that front where, where I would be interested to see how that continues to be. Um, the message that is relayed is once we get into the season and, and as it becomes a little bit closer to a timeline of you're starting to see – Kevin do different activities or maybe on court activities. Then what does what does the narrative dialogue message become?
0: What do you think of Durant saying that he made the decision to come to the Nets on June thirtieth? I'm not quite sure I buy that. I, it just it feels like there's so much going on behind the scenes where guys are talking and
4: I was more I I what jumped out to me more was him saying it was always either going to be the Golden State Warriors or the Nets. Yeah. I mean that there was a handful, of, and, and again, you you never know how things change. And once you make a decision, um, but that to me stood out more because I I could see a decision that of that significance and magnitude that you really are down to the wire of okay, where do I want to be? What do I want to do? Weighing all the factors, um, I don't know. And I think it's always like I think for everyone it's different though because for as much as we could talk about players. Um, and we asked throughout the course of the like some guys maybe maybe Kyrie knew way back when different guys throughout the course of a season
0: maybe think, Spencer Dinwiddie knew that's Spencer <laughs> Spencer is the oh, star whisperer
4: he really is but but I think different people can compartmentalize things different people think about stuff I also think even if you believe that you've made up a decision in in March so much can change throughout the course of the year or throughout the course of time whether what happens with playoffs – you know, because who knows? Who knows what happens? If if Kevin doesn't get injured, does that change his decision? You, you never really know. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if that was just the answer that you give you give to the media to say June 30th or if it really was something where he was trying to narrow it down, and that's when he knew for sure.
0: You know, it's funny. If it was anybody else, I'd say maybe it is just an answer you give the media. But Kevin's always been a pretty candid guy. And exactly, like, Not afraid to tell the truth and say, like, here's what I think. You don't like it. I don't care. That's sort of been his attitude for the last several years, anyway. Um, what I do know is that you know the idea that like Kyrie kind of lured him in is a little overblown. I mean, Kevin's his own man; like yeah. he makes his and own decisions. And he was going to go, yes. And look, it's not you, you can you can look at the Nets and say like that's a team with infrastructure. Like that's a team that I'm going to strongly consider. I'll whittle it down to two, and then make my decision on June 30th. I, I tend to believe that he probably knew where he was going to go before June 30th, but you know maybe it wasn't you know the this foregone conclusion on June 1st right. or, or something like that. I think he just... You know. And
4: I think that happens. I mean, you look at the different options, you look at things, and that's where I think we put so much stock into with the Warriors and the medical staff and trusting and where you... But the, the, I don't necessarily... Or, you know, just how he was fitting in with the team or he wanted his own team. Like I, I, I think there's a multitude of factors that made both of those options extremely appealing to him, and I can see it coming down to... To kind of the last day of the last and even Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson were very honest in saying when they found out and they said they found out when when everyone else found out like they found out so so that also kind of leads me to believe that maybe it was, maybe it was a decision that came down to the very last minute that he wanted to be certain of.
0: Could have so. been. So Sarah I don't do any many live reads while a guest is here but because you're here and because we know a lot of women listen to this podcast I'm going to do my <laughs> live read on the folks at Rothy's here. Rothy's oh! are here we go. Would you like to join me in the...
4: I have Rothy's. Our great friend, Brooke Olsendead. Yes. She connected us with some folks from Rothy's. And so, is this messing up your read? No, this this is actually
0: making it even better. So,
4: they sent all... uh, Many of us within the NBA, the women. Mm. Sorry, we could probably get you a pair. I don't know if they'd fit. Um, Rothy's... Eleven. In our NBA team colors... So I really went out on that one. So I got black and white, which are very mm-hmm. versatile. They are the most comfortable, amazing shoes. They also, you could say they're made of what they're made of, but you could wash it if they get even dirty. So my white pair looks brand new every time I put them on because I could just toss them in the washer and they come out sparkling. They're, it, tremendous. Since you <laughs> asked what they're made of.
0: Rothy's are crafted using 3D knitting techniques and hand assembly. Their seamless design means right out of the box comfort. Best of all, they're made from recycled plastic water bottles. Didn't know that. That's right. Over 25 million water bottles have been diverted from landfills to make these gorgeous and sustainable shoes never used the word gorgeous like that before, but okay. Another major <laughs> bonus, they're fully machine washable, so your yes! pair will be fresh and it's ready real. every laundry it's day. true. Plus, Rothy's always comes with free shipping and free returns and exchanges. There's no risk and no reason not to try. You'll quickly discover why BuzzFeed called them their forever shoes. Check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com slash cadence. Comfort, style, and sustainability. These are the shoes you've been waiting for. And Sarah has. Head to rothys.com. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash cadence.
4: I swear to you, I was going to say comfort and style as a combination of both. <laughs> Rothy's.
0: Perfect. Keep on keeping on. All right. So hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ziprecruiter.com slash manics. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates, so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address: ZipRecruiter.com/Manix. That's ZipRecruiter.com/slash/M-A-N-N-I-X. ZipRecruiter.com/slash/Manix. ZipRecruiter the smartest way to hire. All right, let's talk for a second about Kyrie. Has not practiced, no team activities yet, but is there any buzz? Have you had a chance to interact with Kyrie yet?
4: I, I have not had a chance to interact with Kyrie yet. However, he was the one who organized uh, team, team workouts, uh, whatever it is. It's, Voluntary workouts out in LA with a lot of the guys. Karis LeVert had talked about it, and, and he's out there. A handful of the players are out there, and you hear all, no matter who you talk to within the organization, uh, such positive things about what he's done, his acclamation with the team. I think it certainly helps that he's friends and, and was previously had friendships and connections with a handful of the players. But so far at this point, um, there's just so much positive bu- buzz and excitement around. Where he's at, where he is in the team context, and just how his attitude has been one that's that's really been, um, has so much upside as, as they're getting set to
0: now head into the preseason. How much pressure you think is on him this year? Because in the last week or so, you've had Marcus Smart on TV talking about how much turmoil was around the team last year. Didn't blame Kyrie for it. Uh, at USA Basketball, you had all those Celtics that were there, and they talked about last year being a debacle. Like pr- pretty much everything, everybody was writing about the team last year. They effectively confirmed they right. said it was all true, and maybe it was even worse than what you know. And look, Kyrie's the the, the new ingredient that was introduced into that team last year. I mean, he hadn't he missed the end of that season, came back, a lot of expectations. How much pressure's on him? Do you think to kind of? Show he's a team guy.
4: I think it's hard to categorize that. I, I also, Danny Ainge, um, and I'm remiss, I don't remember the name of the podcast, but was just on a podcast talking about last season's team, and he said he felt like there was too many players with individual goals, um, and just shared responsibility for some of the the lack of meeting expectations. Uh, I... I don't know how much pressure, I mean, from the outside, from just the national perception of how things went in Boston, but I would say, and and I know we've went back and forth about this quite a bit and just you being so ingrained with Boston the understanding of the organization and the team and the way everything unfolded, I think the infrastructure... Of the nets, and not only with the coaching staff or with the front office of the things you talk about on the, but these players, uh, I think everyone has a very strong understanding of the roles, of how they fit, of the dynamics of where everyone fits, and the depth of the group. I'll continue to go back, and, and we keep laughing about it, but Spencer Dinwiddie, his, his, you know, wink-wink recruitment of Kyrie Irving, how that factors in, given the fact that they are essentially the same. Will they play on the floor together? Absolutely, but at the same position. Um Spencer, the understanding of how he will help Kyrie and and vice versa. Karis Lavert being good friends with Kyrie and those two will be the ones together in the backcourt and the synergy that they have. So for all of these reasons, do I think there will be a lot of scrutiny and eyes on Kyrie? Absolutely. But I think the dynamics of the team and the core And where everyone is at coming back from last season, some of the new pieces that fit in the veteran presence and the guys that they have um, give him a really solid foundation of just needing to come out and be him and come out and play. And and maybe there's things that Kyrie would do differently from last year. You know, maybe there are things um, from Boston that he would change a bit. And I'll continue to circle back. This was he. 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 this was his decision and this was the place that he wanted to be at he got to choose where he wanted to be and so you know it ultimately this comes back to okay this is this is where you wanted to be so it's also on his shoulders to find ways to fit in uh, to where this group has been at and where they want to go
0: and Kyrie the basketball player is coming off one of his best seasons like he's playing yes. great yeah. basketball right now and I think in addition to what you said him choosing to play in brooklyn it's also a fairly low pressure situation next year i mean i think everybody is kind of gearing up for that 2020 2021 net season when kevin durant is healthy and they have the pieces to make a run for a championship next year it's like just don't be worse than the year before basically like be a six seed or a five seed going into the playoffs if they accomplish that and they do it with, while looking functional, I think everybody's kind of going to be happy with the Nets.
4: Yeah, and, and I also think, Tack, on the fact, I entirely agree with that. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of, and I, I don't know the inner workings are entirely the person. I know Brad Stevens, but not nearly as well as you do and, and nearly as well as what I've watched and observed and know from Kenny Atkinson. Uh, but But Kenny is, he knows how to dig in and relate and respond. To players and do so, he does he treat everyone? I think the reason why players uh, adore him is because he treats everyone the same to some regards and holds everyone to the same accountability. However, he knows that not everyone may be coached the same or talked to the same or just... It, it, the type of ways that he needs to show them to be at their best. I think he's he's so emotionally invested. Um, and so I think for him and just the, the way in which he's worked with different, you know, D'Angelo Russell coming in and how he learned uh, the give and take of building a relationship with him, both on the court and coaching him, but also off the court. Same with a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie. You can go down the list. Um, and I think he's very attuned to how – to really try and find a way to connect. And and my hope is that that will even help boost Kyrie's ability to adapt, ability to be at his best because of just how much I think of what Kenny Atkinson can do with each individual player.
0: All right, let me finish with one other Nets question, and that involves ownership, where you had the report this week from the New York Post that Joseph Tsai, who is already a co-owner, 49% of the team he currently owns, is finalizing a deal with Mikhail Prokhorov. To buy the remaining fifty-one percent, the purchase price two point three five billion. Wow! <laughs> Props to all the NB owners that got in like fifteen years ago, like at like three hundred million. I mean, that's just one of the smartest investments anybody's ever made. But Joseph Tsai, Alibaba co-founder, he is buying the team, controlling interest of the team. Um, remains to be seen what kind of owner he'll be. But you were part of the the Prokhorov regime from the very beginning. You know, working there uh, in New Jersey and, and in Brooklyn. Uh, what do you think Prokhorov's legacy is going to be? Because he came in gangbusters. He vowed to spend the money to win a championship. He did spend the money. He didn't win the championship. But as he exits the NBA, what do you think Prograf's legacy will be? I,
4: I think from the outside, people saw the robust nature of which he you know, talked about winning a title and, and all the different ways in, in which um, he was so open, honest, fun-loving, you know— th- his personality um, in some ways was larger than life when he did speak with the media but but for all of us with the nets and even thinking about what he did I mean I certainly hope it's one of of a lot of respect because given the fact he he was the driving force, he bought the team in 2009, but he was the driving force in, in moving them to Brooklyn. He, um, took on a lot of debt, um, from Bruce Ratner and he paid, I mean, we think about the, the trade and the, um, the team in which they put together, which, you know, a lot of that maybe was predicated on the push to try and by all means necessary win a title, but he paid, I think it was $123 million in luxury tax. I mean, there was a lot of things, part of building the HSS Training Center there in Brooklyn, the money he spent towards that, just even all, there, there was so many circumstances of which he doled out. And so now, yeah, you look at the money that he's made now off the sale, Um, But at the time, the amount of money that he put into all the different ways in which this team has now gotten to this point – And really, and again, going back to the move to Brooklyn, a lot of things would not have happened in in building Barkley Center and building the training center, the practice facility, if not for Prokhorov. And if not for him really opening up his pockets, too, with a rot and whether those moves are the right moves and in the trades and things, you know, obviously hindsight, uh, you can look back and see how things didn't work. But for him. Um, you know, I, I think there is a lot of respect for what he was willing to pay and what he was willing to do to at least attempt to get this team, um, back to title contention. And he's hiring Sean Marks and then totally hands off and saying, I, am hiring you. I trust you. I trust you are the right man to get this organization back in the direction that we wanted to do and in all the decision-making. And that then falls forward to hiring Kenny Atkinson, um, And even with Joseph Tsai in their partnership and now, uh, you know, the plan, which is a little bit uh, sooner than was anticipated, I think the 21-22 season was when um, Joseph Tsai had planned to take on full ownership, but... I just I think in general um, he really did a lot of great things for the organization um, and, and for us and for my you know yes network our perspective he was always great for us and, and always um, was always so kind and professional with his time and you know doing things for the team and coming out I know there's a lot of videos circulating but with the players with training camp and and so um, yeah I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how things progress and Joseph Tsai has been tremendous thus far and, and not only, owning the Brooklyn Nets but New York Liberty he owns a lacrosse team out in San Diego I mean he's really active um in in so much within professional sports so um I I think there's a lot of positives
0: yeah I mean look you can uh, quibble with how he you know went about his early days uh maybe he should have taken a Sean Marks like approach early on and not try to spend his way to a championship but he took a big swing and he missed, and it, it happened. You always, I would prefer to have the owner that does that versus yes. the one yeah. that doesn't. That yeah. nickels and dimes and says you're not going over the luxury tax, you're not doing this. You're trying to win, didn't work out. Now he's been a part of setting this team on a path that it's on right now. You know he, he won't be around to. If this put it this way, if this Nets team winds up winning a championship, he'll have a part of that. Like yeah, he will be. It was his decision to to bring in the Sean Marks and to. And to put this team on this path and he'll have... Uh, and,
4: and like you said, someone that swings big and then, re- okay, maybe that wasn't the right way to go about it. Maybe I learned. Maybe this isn't exactly the way to operate things and then shifts directions and pivots and finds a different way and finds someone that he could trust with uh, the directions. So yeah, so I, I, I do think he should have, a, regardless of what happens, but for the future, I do think part of that is the legacy that, that he created and what he built here as the team moved to Brooklyn.
0: That's your legacy too, right there. You and Prokhorov. Intertwined. He, gosh, I should have looked up. He combined w- net worth. Do, what, <laughs> <laughs> what, do we, what do we put in there? Add my ten
4: dollars? <laughs> no, he came out when we were at training camp at Duke. He came out to show everyone, and he had me demonstrate, which it was a disaster. But it's it's this. Gosh, I need to look at what it is. But it's a lot of hand-eye coordination, different. So it's where you're like balancing on a medicine ball and bouncing tennis balls, and it's this whole idea of the ways in which you can help put your body in a lot of like habitual motions that will help and he thought it would help the players too but mm. he had me demonstrate it and it made me look like a fool uh, but yes. I appreciated the you know the well, help well we appreciate you being here
0: Sarah <laughs> hope you get some free shoes out of it as well like, if that read goes viral
4: Rothies
0: send it to Brooklyn the black and whites very simple I,
4: I don't I, the thing is they last forever I don't need any more because you could just toss them in the, toss washers, them in the so. wash
0: and you're good to go uh, Sarah, always appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. Thanks,
4: Panix for having me.
1: to start listening.